Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. Alrighty, it's time to pick up where we left off, Galatians chapter 3, in the middle of the chapter. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we are gathered together in your name, we know two or three gathered together in your name, you say that you are present. And so we pause, just take that in, that the living God is present here among us, plans to prosper us and to help us, to comfort and correct and guide us, not to judge us, not to hurt us or harm us, to give us a hope in a future. So let us open our hearts now as we study the roots of our salvation, the theology behind John 3.16 here in Galatians 3. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's a big, huge difference of what's going on here in Galatians 3 and what was going on in Romans, specifically chapter 14. I don't know if you noticed, but they may sound similar, but the situations are so very different. And so let me refresh your memory. In Rome and in other places, as you uh, heard on Sunday, Uh, God was calling people of all kinds of backgrounds out of the Roman Empire and into his church. And they had so many diverse backgrounds. I mean, just like today. I mean, you had upright uh, Jewish people and you had vile and vulgar pagans who were worshiping at idols. And then they all uh, came together in Christ when they believed the gospel. And then they had to figure out how, how, how to live this new life. And so the Bible's pretty clear on what's morally expected of us, right? And so, I mean, the whole New Testament and the Old Testament is filled with God's commands, what's moral, what's sinful, uh, what's evil, what's good and right, and all of that. No, no question about these things, sexual immorality, check. We understand it. Greed and slander and drunkenness, we get that. But there are lifestyle choices that are not so clear, and they're called, as Romans 14 was talking about, disputable, doubtful matters, where there's no chapter uh, and verse to point to, and we call those areas gray areas, uh, morally neutral things, and Christians have differing personal convictions that cause uh, sometimes conflict because they're deeply held convictions. I could just jump to some examples of today, you know, whether you homeschool or whether it's public school or whether Santa Claus is okay for your Christian family or not, or whether Easter egg hunts for your Christian family is okay or jack-o'-lanterns and trick-or-treating okay for your Christian family. Different Christians have different uh, 
perspectives and convictions, and we talked about that. And uh, in Rome, it was about eating meat, sacrificed to idols or not, or drinking wine because some of them came out of drunkenness and said, oh, I can never have a glass of wine, while other stronger believers said, I'm in full control of myself. I can have a glass of wine. Now, and then there was keeping the Sabbath. In Christ, Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. So the stronger knowledge in the faith were able to say, Christ fulfills the Sabbath. He's my Sabbath rest. All days are alike. And uh, while others said, hey, I know I'm saved by grace, but I, I, I still want to keep the Sabbath. So maybe I'll keep Saturday and Sunday. And Paul said about these differences that could divide us, accept one another. Where there's no thou shalt not, Thou shalt not bring judgment. You're supposed to accept one another. So what was going on in Galatians, very different, sounds similar. But here, in Rome, they wanted to be Jewish culturally. In Galatia, they wanted to be Jewish to be saved. So they wanted to keep the Sabbath and be circumcised to become an official Jew and to uh, eat kosher. And they were being taught by false teachers that this is the way to salvation. They would say yes on Jesus, but he isn't adequate. It's not him alone. You have to add Jewish rites and rituals. And this is a zero tolerance. So in other words, tolerance with the weak in conscience who believe that uh, they're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. That's okay. We can tolerate the weak, but intolerance for the false because we are not saved by our works. And so that brings us to what's going on here in Galatians chapter 3. It's the false. It's not the weak. It's false doctrine that is Workspace that we earn our way, that, that God saves us, but we bring something to the table too, which appeals to our pride and our egos and all of that. And so uh, the context, uh, because we, we pick up in the middle of the chapter, so let me tell you what's been going on and then we'll dive in. So he's been telling them all the reasons why these wannabe Jews who are pagans, who are being told, hey, you need to learn how to speak in Hebrew. You need to light a menorah. Yeah, I'll tell you what time you need to light it. And these kinds of foods, yes, these kinds of foods, no. He's telling them all the reasons why, hey, listen, you do not want to go under the law. And he, and he lists them. And uh, so he says, number one, the, and he uses the Old Testament scripture, which is the law, to speak to them. And he says, number one, the reason you don't want to do all of these things to, to, to prove that you're uh, to uh, earn God's love and your salvation. Number one, uh, the Bible says, the law says, if you can't keep them all, you're under a curse. So it, it, you can't just cut and paste. We've talked about that last week. You know, they love the kosher laws and they love the Sabbath laws and all the cool things that made them look hip and cool and superior to the uh, other Christians who don't keep those things. Uh, but it, there were 612 more rules and regulations. And if you didn't keep them all, says the law, you're a lawbreaker. You might as well break them all. So he says, there's no point to it. So number two, the Old Testament says of itself, the only way to be right with God is through faith. That should have just nailed it, just shut. Because the law, 
the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, says, you will never be justified before God by working. The, the just shall live by faith. The forgiven live by faith. That's the rule there. So, and then lastly, and then we'll dive in, Abraham was called out as the father of the Jews. So if they want to be Jews, Paul is like, let's talk about the first Jew, okay? So how did he get right with God? Well, the answer was, number one, the Bible says, Galatians 15, 6, the Torah, the Hebrew says in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and God counted that to put Abraham right with himself. So, so the head Jew, father Jew, the progenitor of the Jewish people got saved by faith, right? And he wasn't even circumcised yet. So the Jews were coming around telling the pagan guys, hey, you've got to be circumcised or you won't be saved. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Now, how could that be if the father of the Jews was saved and put right with God by faith before God said, now that you're saved and have new life in you, circumcision for Abraham, then I'll just throw this in for free. <laughs> circumcision was a sign. He was born again by faith. And so after Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, God says, now for a sign of what's already come to life in you, it didn't happen through human reproduction. It happened through God's spirit coming down and enabling you to not have physical life. You will, you'll never get to heaven if you're only born once. You're going to have to be born twice. So I'm going to put the sign accordingly. God had to enable new life. It couldn't be physical life. It had to be spiritual life. And so, uh, you know, that's it. And then on top of that, not only was he not circumcised when he was saved, and they're running around, you gotta be circumcised, or whatever. Or you gotta keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. Oh, really? How was Abraham the first Jew saved? Moses wasn't around for 430 more years. So there's no Moses, there are no laws. There's no law of Moses. So, you know, I think it's an airtight case, if you ask me. And so he's going to continue now things to consider for these wannabe Hebrews who aren't happy with just being Christians. They want to get back to their Hebrew roots. And uh, boy, if you get back to your Hebrew roots, what are you going to find? You're going to find faith in God putting you right with him, period. That's what your Hebrew roots are going to tell you. And I mentioned this last week before we dive in now. If a Jew wanted to say, hey, I find beauty in the Passover. I'm totally saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. But there's such beauty in those things that make me love Jesus and embrace my free salvation even more. That's 100% kosher. Stamped approved. You can do that. The problem is they weren't doing that. They were saying, unless you do that, you're going to hell. Now, Houston... We have a problem. All right, here, here's some more reasons here, starting up, picking up in the... Brothers, let's continue as if that wasn't enough. I would have thought that was enough. Let's go on through the chapter, three paragraphs, this one's included. Brothers, now, now that's cool. 
because some of them are not acting like brothers. Some of these guys are the false teachers who are just kind of on the fence maybe, but he, it's, what a gracious thing to do is to say, we're still in the faith, you guys. Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case, he's referring back to God's promise to Abraham. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed or his descendants. That's what that word means. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds. In the Hebrew, the word is singular, meaning many people. It doesn't say seeds, many people, or many descendants, but it says, and to your singular seed, or descendant, meaning one person. And Paul's going to tell you right now, mystery solved, who was Genesis talking about there? Oh, it was Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later after Abraham, Abraham's at 2000 BC, Moses is at 1500 BC, King David's at 1000 BC, Isaiah's at 700 BC, Nehemiah's at 500 BC, Uh, Malachi's at 400 BC, and then you have Christ. But through that in, for free. <laughs> you got, you're catching on. All right. The law introduced 430 years later doesn't set aside what he said to Abraham. The covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise that was by faith. Right? Verse 18. For if the inheritance, salvation, eternal life, the gospel, depends on being good, the law, then it is no longer depending on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you land. And Abraham said, let's do this. And that was enough to be saved. Believing God's promise is what saves you. (laughs) And so, okay, let's take a look. We're going to pause here. And uh, this uh, point, uh, I would say, You can write down Paul saying, consider the basis or the terms of the promise to Abraham. What was the condition of the promise? He wants to ask them. Was it that he work, work, work? Or was it that he believed? And so you you guys already know the answer. And so um, so, like I said, 2,000 years out from uh, Bethlehem, if we can put it that way. God makes the promise to Abraham and he counts his faith, as we've been saying, uh, sufficient for salvation and his descendants. And we're going to talk about that, what that believes. And and so 1500 years BC, 1500 BC, so as he says, and it all depends how you do the math, but Paul's math is the best, you know, so he says uh, 400 some odd years later, uh, Moses shows up, right? And it has the law that comes and the covenant that the Jews make at Mount Sinai has no bearing on the promise, the foundational promise of salvation in the gospel through Father Abraham. Okay, so he's saying, so here's what he's saying. God made a covenant with Abraham. It's based on faith. 
430 years later, Moses comes with the law. It has no ability to set aside the promise that Abraham was given by God that Abraham and his descendants who put their faith in God, who believe God's promises will be saved and put right with him. So the law, it came later. And it came in a lesser way, and he's going to explain that later. And so he says, can, can we use an example from everyday life here? Now you follow me along in the text. We humans do business, don't we? We humans use contracts. We humans write last wills and testaments. We humans know that when the ink dries and when you've initialed, I don't know, 17 pages on a lease agreement, I know, initial here, initial here, initial here, initial here. Why? Because you're going to come back and say, I didn't know that I couldn't have a dog. And then they're going to go, oh, initial, 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 initial here. Oh, no dogs. What's that there? Two R's. What's your name? Ross Reinman. Oh, what a coincidence. Everybody knows. When you sign something that you've agreed upon, you laid it out, it's clear, it's legal, it's done, the ink dries, done, done and done. And if it's that way with man, it's more so with God. And God made a covenant with Father Abraham that put Abraham right by faith alone and said, this is a promise to you and your descendants. Believe in me, and you get the whole shebang. Everything, eternal life, crowns, thrones, everything. For nothing. I'm going to do everything. Yeah, and do not tell me all religions are alike. Name me one religion that says, you'll do nothing, I do everything, I will spill my blood for you, I'll become a man for you, I will be your substitutionary death. Come on. And then requires nothing and then puts new life in you? How can they be the same if they're different? I don't know, I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there for. <laughs> I need to stop saying that. All right, so he's saying God made a binding contract that is unalterable. He cannot be set aside because Moses showed up with the 10 C's. He's already, he's 430 years late to, to uh, and it's not in a bad way, but he cannot change the covenant that's already found uh, in foundation. They're in foundation stone, if you will. And so this is what he's saying. So now he wants to give you some theology behind your salvation. So pay attention to the agreement, verse 16, that God made with Abraham and his seed. Now, this is interesting because Paul is going to point out that God had made a promise to Abraham and his descendants. Now, in English, in the Old Testament, it says descendants. But the Hebrew word is singular. And the word for descendant there is singular, but it can mean descendants. It can mean for, like when you say generation, you've got multiple people in there, right? Or you could say generations, but Paul's pointing out that the Holy Spirit on purpose used the singular word seed 
or child or descendant. All three mean the same thing there. The promise is, and here's what he's trying to say. He's saying the Holy Spirit did this on purpose to say, the promise of salvation is to Abraham and to his descendants who are in the descendant, Christ. So Christ, through his human nature, is related to Abraham. And anyone who believes God is placed in his descendants and becomes the descendants because Christ is a descendant of Abraham. He's also the eternal God who stepped into a Jewish ancestry line that's connected to Abraham through his mother Mary. And wait, there's more. It's through Joseph as well. Joseph is not blood to Jesus, but he is related to Abraham. I've got the genealogy to marvel at, all right? So, from Adam, this is uh, starting from Luke 3. Matthew, writing to the Jews, picks it up with Abraham. So, so starting from Adam, you can trace the people and the ancestry of Christ. So, when you get to King David, you split off through Nathan to get to Mary, and then through Solomon to get to Joseph. All right? And so you can follow your way all the way. We didn't need Joseph because he's not blood. Jesus is blood to Mary and all the way blood, but he's also blood through his stepfather, which is an amazing feat that God is a genius and can multitask both of them, even (laughs) though we don't need Joseph to be blood related, but he threw it in for free. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So um, this is an amazing thing that God has promised now. He says, God promised to him through your descendants. Who are the descendants? These are wannabe Hebrews, these pagan Gentiles. They want to be related to Abraham somehow. And Paul's saying, you are. You are spiritually related because you're acting like him when you believe the promise of God. You're getting saved like Abraham got saved. And so in a spiritual sense, you are very much related to Christ, who is his descendant, and everybody in, his, in, in Abraham's descendant, Christ, is also heir to the same promise that Abraham was heir to, which is eternal life. Okay, so I think you're getting it. Let's move on here, 19 through 22. Okay, so he's anticipating them. Okay, you kind of cut the law completely out. What's up with the law then? And in fact, he was being accused by his detractors all through the Roman Empire that Paul teaches against the law of Moses. No, he didn't. He was just trying to get the right perspective for people, right? So he's going to answer them and say, why then was the law given? I'll tell you. It was given because they're saying, well, then what's up with it? What was a waste of time or what? No, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the seed, the child, the descendant, who was promised, Christ. 
God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people up there on Mount Sinai, Exodus 20. Verse 20. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. I'll explain this. This is very intriguing. Verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Are they hostile to each other? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But that's not going to happen. The scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we have to receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You'll notice I switched to the NLT, New Living Translation there. It just brings it down just a little bit easier. Sometimes these theological treaties, which this is, can get really complicated. And I love the NLT. I think it's very accurate. And if you've got your uh, favorite version right in front of you anyway, and so everything's good. Point number two. Uh, consider now the purpose of God's law. What was the purpose of it, right? It wasn't to save you. So you keep coming under it. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. got to do that. But God didn't give it to save us because he knew we couldn't. He gave it not to save us, but to show us that we need to be saved. And so let's walk through this a little bit here. So um, it shows us our, our need And he says, we only needed it until Christ came because it was showing us, uh, you know, we wouldn't have known what sin was unless we had the law. Now, he doesn't really explain it here, but he explains what he means all over the place and especially in uh, the book of Romans. He says in Romans chapter three, through the command, I gained a knowledge of sin. So one of the reasons God gave the 10 commandments was to say, hey, This is what's right and this is what's wrong. How humiliating is it and what does it say about human nature that he has to tell us in a command, don't take what isn't yours and do not sleep with somebody else's spouse. That's bad. He has to command it. Why? And it goes on and on. Honor your mother and father. Who would do that? We us, we wouldn't do that. And we start at a young age and we become very good at dishonoring. And so he had to give the 10 C's, not because he thought, oh, here they are. You better get busy and, and work to keep them all. But he gave them to point out to us. Do you know what coveting is? Yeah, I'm not really asking you, but <laughs> I'm saying that God was asking us all Do you guys ever heard of coveting? And then Paul in Romans 7 says, I wouldn't have even known what coveting is. It was just a way of life. I looked at something and said, gee whiz, I wish I had it and I was mad at you that you had it, right? So that's called coveting. And so he says, not only did I find out when the 10 C's came down that I'm I'm a born coveter, but when I heard that God said, I don't want you to covet, it made me want to covet even more. That's how messed up we are. And that's how much we need a savior. That's the whole point. So giving, and now he wants to show this thing 
Uh, he wants to talk about the mediation process. How the law came and how the promise came is going to make the law look inferior to the promise. Now pay attention. He's going to say uh, how it was mediated. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying that the law came through mediation. He's saying through angels there was a mediation. In fact, there was a lot of mediation. It actually went from the 10 C's, okay, the 10 commandments, and 612 other ones. It went from God to angels to Moses to the people to Moses back to God. So there was mediation there. Now, what, why is he saying that's lesser than God not using mediation and speaking straight into the eardrum of Abraham? Hey, you're saved. You believe me. I'm going to give you eternal life. Bam. No mediation. No angels to God, to Moses, to da 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 Why? Well, what's the difference? He's saying with the law, it's a covenant that's conditional. And when you have in your verses here, it says mediation is helpful when you have two parties. So he's saying, okay, so the law was a covenant that was conditional between two parties, God and the Jews. So he said, listen, if you do this, you'll have life. If you do that, you'll have death. And then he brings it out. And in the, in the New Testament and the Old, it, it says that angels were involved. You don't see the angels in Exodus 20, but you hear about them later, that angels actually spoke as well to Moses, and they were involved in the mediation process. Stephen said that angels were involved, and David said that angels were involved. And so a mediation is necessary when there are two parties. Oh, that's it here. So it was conditional. But when Abraham is told, it's unilateral. Unilateral means it's one-sided. We don't need mediation because he's not asking you do this, do that. There's no mediation. It's God saying, I'm going to do everything. Done. And he speaks directly. He doesn't need a mediator. What do you think about that? You want to get a mediator and get back to me? Well, that's exactly what the Exodus 20 said happened, that after God brought the mediation down, do this or die, do this or live, that they sent word back to Moses, we will do everything you have asked us to do. Right. Right. <laughs> But see, there was mediation going on because there were two sides of the covenant. That's Paul's point, is, is that the law was conditional. So you really don't want to go under the law because it says if you do this, you can live. But if you don't, you're going to die. So that's his point, that Abraham's blessed promise and to us is not based on what you can do for God it's based on what God has done. And he signs alone. And what's amazing is, is when the first covenant with Abraham is put into action in Genesis 15, Abraham is asleep. Abraham is asleep when it's accredited to him as righteousness. In that chapter, he's asleep and God is doing the, all the ritual about the covenant. The unilateral covenant. He doesn't need a mediator and doesn't even need Abraham to say anything because he's asleep. 
That's the Old Testament, and he does it again in the New. When Jesus is sweating drops of blood in the garden, getting ready to spill his blood for the New Covenant, what are the guys doing? It's unilateral again. They're asleep. The same thing, Genesis 15, and then check out the Gospels. The old is instituted with men asleep and God doing everything. The new is instituted with men asleep and Christ, God in Christ doing everything. And this is what he's trying to say to these people. Stop with your, I got to do this and I got to keep this and I got to make sure I don't do this so that I'll maintain my salvation. That's just not the way it is because you've been given a unilateral promise. And then he says, is there a, a problem between God's law and God's promises? He says, absolutely not. He says, listen, the law and the promises are not at odds with one another. One condemns and the other one sets free. You just have to understand what they were for. They're working together. The only problem with the law, he says, the law is good. Just don't use it as a recommendation, right? If you want the law to, to write you a recommendation, you're in for a lot of trouble. Do you under, are you checking with me? Okay, if, you, if the law was a person, and you said, uh, you know, let me, uh, let me send you a letter from the law, which I'm under, all right? Because I want this job really bad. The law would say, do not hire him. Do not hire her. If you wanted to get into a college and the law, which you were under, thou shalt do this and all your goodness and all of your, your good deeds. If, you're, if the law was asked to recommend you for it, the position at the school, they would say, do not let that person in your school. Why? Because he's a liar, sexually immoral, doesn't honor the parents. He's broken all of them. And so the law is good in its purpose to lead you as a sinner to Christ. That's what he's saying here. They're not at odds with each other. You just have to understand how they're used. Amen? Amen? Let's finish up with the last paragraph. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. Now we're continuing the purpose of the commandments, okay? We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith, until Christ in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law to redeem us from being under the law and the curse until the way of faith was revealed. Verse 24, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. The word is nanny. The word can, the word can mean school teacher. It could mean um, uh, prison guard. Our legal guardian, the law, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, was our guardian until Christ came and protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come and we are believers and we've come to our rescuer, we're no longer needing the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been put on, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. He's bringing in baptism because if they would think about their own Christian baptism, they wouldn't be 
thinking in terms of earning their way to salvation because baptism flies in the face of all of that, as we'll see. So verse 27, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. That should bing, bing, bing. All those menorah lighting, yarmulke wearing, prayer shawl, wannabe Hebrews in the congregation. You're related just by believing. Amen. Amen. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. Meaning that the actual biological Jews are not really, the, in a spiritual sense, children of Abraham because they didn't do what Abraham did. Abraham believed God, surrendered to God, received the promise of new life. And if you are a biological descendant of Abraham, Romans says you're not really connected to Abraham if you don't do what Abraham did. And so the last verse in chapter 3 Uh, You are Abraham's heirs, right? You're his heirs, Christ's heirs, Abraham's heirs. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So let's finish up with the third point. I would say consider your blessed freedom before you try to (laughs) earn your way by cutting out all pork products. That's not going (laughs) to work. Before Jesus came... Uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, had us in protective custody. Love that because it's, it's true in two senses of that idea. Paul has said that the whole world was locked up as it were, locked up. Verse 23, check it out in your text there. He says the Ten Commandments came down and kind of shut up or locked up It really condemned the human race as felons before God who are awaiting sentencing and capital crimes. So that's what happened, is that the whole world, when the Ten Commandments came, a curse came over everybody, and everybody stood condemned. And now the law was saying, look ahead, look for a way out. It's not going to happen through uh, your good behavior, right? That's why you're locked in under the label of sin. Let me uh, show you the verses that Paul quotes in Romans. It's not pretty. Uh, He says, all have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. But he's going to quote six times the Old Testament. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Who he's talking about? The human race. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. But here's the thing. No one does good. No, not even one. So if you go back to the text where he's saying... The law puts us in protective custody. It's saying it guards us as prisoners of sinners awaiting the judgment of God for our high crimes and spiritual misdemeanors. Let me show you a prison yard here. This is what, this is exactly the understanding that Paul has of the 
purpose of the law to shut us in. So when he says we're under protective custody, there is a positive sense in that the law was given to put us in check from destroying ourselves and to, to have some semblance of common sense to how to structure societies and families and how to run our own lives. So in one sense, it protects us from ourselves, but this sense of being under the law as a protective custody is to hold us from escaping. And the job of the law is to say, are you guilty? Are you afraid? Are you lonely? Are you sensing you can't get out of here by your good works? Are you sensing you need a lawyer, a really good one? How about the, a, a judge who would be like a father to you? How about a judge who would pay for you? How about a judge who would become the payment for you? How about the judge being related to the prosecuting attorney related to the defense attorney and they're all on your side? How about that? That's the job of the school teacher, the law, God's moral laws. They push you like a sheepdog. Go to Christ, man. Go to Christ. But we're locked up. You know you can't get out by being good. And then he goes to baptism. The only way out is death and resurrection by the Christ who will save you, who has paid for your sins. There's no way out of this. And that's the purpose of the law, to calm down. And when you're sharing the gospel with your non-Christian friends, you pull up the law and just say, hey, man, you know, do you consider yourself a good person? They always say yes. And then you say, well, would you agree that a good person would keep the commands? Yeah, of course they would. Okay, then start hauling them out. Start bringing them out. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, of course, I've, I'm a human being. I've lied. So what does that make you? A liar. Okay, do you understand that you broke one of the commandments? And so you go down the list, and, and the law proves to somebody, hey, wait a second, I thought I was a good person, but actually I've broken most of the Ten Commandments. What kind of good person is that? That's the job of locking us all so that you get corralled to want to get out, you see? You wouldn't want to get out if you didn't know you were in. So you have to know you're in because you won't appreciate the gospel. Because if the gospel comes to somebody who doesn't know that they're in prison waiting for sentencing, and, and that's a part of the, uh, the, the gospel that we've removed today, you remove the incentive for a gospel. Why come to Jesus if I'm good? Ah, no. Something's hanging over my head. It's called Judgment. Well-deserved. Okay, you can go back to the closing thought there. The protective custody so that we don't ruin our lives. I love the last thoughts here. He says, baptism, if you would have reflected on it. He says, when you're baptized, it's like putting on Christ. It means this, that your old stained and tattered garments, your old stained and tattered life, they're covered. It's covered. When you come up out of that water, it's like putting on the robes of Christ because you're washed in your in Christ and he covers you. And now he's going to go on to say how that brings us, we're all wearing the same thing, so that should bring unity, that everybody in here is dressed the same, no matter if you were rich or poor, black or white, male or female, we're all clothed in the same garment of Christ. So that should promote 
unity and love. Now he says, rich and poor, we get that enslavement free. If you got saved as an indentured servant there, slaves uh, were, became free in Christ. And if you were free when you got saved, you became a slave of Christ. That was Paul's reasoning. And so male and female, here's a quote here. One commentator said, while the apostle will, after this, affirm God's God-given distinctions between men and women. He doesn't do away with them. With function, later on, he talks about roles of men and women. So he's not doing away with uh, male and female. What he is doing away with, he says, the point here is not that gender is irrelevant in Christ, but that male and female are worth and their worth and value are equal in Christ. And God expects us to show one another proper respect and honor in his kingdom, no matter our earthly stations in life. And, you know, it shouldn't surprise anybody, sadly, that women were really had a hard time in the Roman Empire. Uh, they weren't allowed to go to school like some countries today. And so he, uh, he brings in male and female saying, yes, differing roles, and he will say differing roles later in different letters, that we are distinct in our functions, equal in our worth. And we needed to stop, as we still do today, respecting somebody over somebody else when, in fact, we're all out of the orange jumpsuits <laughs> and we're all wearing white robes of righteousness that Christ has given us, not because we've done anything good, so everybody in the room, and that's the hardest part for people, is, is that whether you were a prostitute or a drug lord or a really nice guy, we're all wearing the same thing. It had nothing to do with being the nice guy or not. It had to do with what Christ did for us. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your truth and the theology behind our free and simple salvation. It sounds free and simple, and then you start digging, and you realize a lot has gone into this free and simple salvation. We thank you so much, Lord, that there are just no strings attached. There's no strings attached. You did it all for us. And so we thank you. We, say, we pray that you work in our hearts that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.